0: Hello, I'm Ben Keen, your host, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast, produced with support from our friends at Virgin Money. On to this episode and a theme that's close to my heart, brand building. This is something I've looked into and tried to perfect over many years. But at Virgin, we've spent 50 years building amazing businesses off the back of the brand. And for this event, we got together an incredible group of new founders to uncover their secrets to creating irresistible brands. Joining me was Celia Poole, co-founder of sustainable period product startup Dame, Nathan Perry, co-founder of healthy dog snack startup Denzel's, and Tom Tapper, CEO of creative agency Nice and Serious. We came together to explore why branding is so intrinsically linked to the personality of not just the founder, but the captive target audience too, and why values are the core essence of long-lasting business. I hope you enjoy this scintillating chat. And as ever, please do subscribe, review and share so that other founders can hear these inspiring stories. We will now introduce uh, our fantastic panel. We have three brands that are kind of like Oh, I wish I'd I wish I created that. And tonight we're going to hear about how they've done it. So we have got uh, Celia from Dame for Good, a multi award winning sustainable period product brand of business. Uh, we've got Nathan from Denzel's, um, which is a healthy snacks for dogs um, that's making waves and has been invested in by uh, Holly Branson. And we have got Tom from Nice and Serious, a creative work agency, uh, work that the world needs, um, Nice and Serious. So if you're here, you're here just like that. Boom. (laughs) Good evening, everybody. How are we doing?
1: Good, thanks. Very good.
0: Very well. Very good. Welcome to the Virgin Startup stage. Um, so we've got 50 years of, of Virgin building brands, and we're we're all in the early years of it, but already learned a lot and demonstrated a lot of great role modeling. Um, and I thought what we'd start with is a quick fire round of our favorite brands. And for those watching and listening in, if you want to answer these questions as well, just drop them into the chat as we go. It'll be great because the more we share here, the better. So we'll start off with... Uh, current favorite brands that have like maybe a favorite brand that's around a product or service that isn't necessarily that exciting so maybe a boring everyday product or service but a a brand that you really love Celia uh
1: mine is minor figures I just think like milk who would have thought I know Oatly is doing it as well like who would have thought you could have made milk fun I think what minor figures and Oatly are doing are incredible
0: and then minor figures an oat based uh milk brand yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Tom,
2: um, I at the moment am crushing on Wild Deodorant. Deodorant's a bit of a kind of underdone brand, or it's done very heavily in like Unilever space. But I love their model of the beautiful aluminium canisters and getting regular post out to their product works well just looks lovely and i used to buy tom's deodorant one from the states but that was kind of like ugly design and packaging and plastic so very happy with them and quite affordable as well actually
0: so i believe it or not tom i rolled on some wild 20 minutes ago just just for tonight Fantastic. because there's so many people in this room with me but yeah you're lovely. right it's very clever and the and the subscription model which we'll talk about tonight in branding works beautifully with with them mm. and they've nailed that if you want to look at a great instagram consumer brand campaign um, check out Wild. Nathan, what about you?
3: I did actually have Wild, but I did have a backup just in case. <laughs> uh, I, mine is can of water, which I guess like, says what does, but it's like a can of water. And I think that, you know, what's more like can't get more boring than water really, but they've managed to sort of like put it in a can, make it very different and like kind of freshen up that that the fridge space, which I think is really impressive.
0: All right. So we talked about, boring everyday things but brilliant brands now how about brands that we often see new brands uh, that, that people get really excited about but they're often they're in the premium space uh, what about uh, a brand that's sort of more affordable to to the whole market but is also brilliant Celia
1: well I think kind of again and i don't know if kind of like teeters the border of, of this but nudie jeans like I'm such a fan of any kind of jeans company that has repair shops around town that you can just send your jeans into like that is exactly what you want as a consumer you want to know that your clothing brand isn't ripping you off just to buy more clothes and i love that about them
0: nice
2: tom Mm. um again i think it's quite hard to find a brand that's really bottom price and there's probably a reason for that because a lot of other things are subsidized and have impact on the environment and stuff but i would actually say pip and nut actually the Kind of peanut butter brand is pretty affordable. Like I've got two young twin boys, I go through a lot of peanut butter, and you can buy their big like kilogram tubs, like really affordably, and 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 they're they're
0: lovely. So um, Holland and Barrett wholesale for your pip and nut big tubs. That's where you go <laughs> rather than buy them very small in Waitrose for eight quid. Yeah, exactly. It's just about finding the right shop.
3: Uh, Nathan, what about you? Um, I would go with something like maybe it's a bit of a trick answer, but something like Monzo where like, you know, it's free to use and anyone can get involved. But it's kind of, again, like a lot different from a normal banking and it's kind of trying to like freshen it up and, and make that a lot more fun. So that would be what I'd go with.
0: Nice. And, and the, for those interested in, in this space, uh, we had a good chat recently with Richard Walker, who's the MD of Iceland Supermarket here in the UK, um, which uh, serves uh, a huge number of people every week. who have a budget of around 25 pounds of family. And so he's all about balancing out brands, uh, quality branding and experience um, and environmental and social impact on a price point. So if you're interested in like, you know, food and and that world um, at that sort of level, that's um, amazing leadership from Iceland. Okay, final quick brand question. Uh, Best personal, like what's the best brand experience you've had recently? Uh,
1: For me, it's Elvis and Crest. I love them. Again, going down the sustainability route, like they wholeheartedly believe in repurposing things. They're, all their products are made out of old fire hoses. And when they send them to you, they send them an old coffee sack. So every single part of the process is really sort of speaks to who they are. And that's what I love. There's no compromise.
0: And they've been upcycling old fire hoses for what, 10, 15 years now? It's...
1: Yeah, they're, they're absolutely incredible. They just live and breathe their values, which I love.
0: Yeah, great example, Tom. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of uh, ethical brand chat
2: tonight, I think. So uh, I am a big fan of Finisterre. I didn't put this on specifically and I don't work for them, but I had a really nice interaction with them when I got this a couple of weeks ago, actually. It came in their new, I think it's seaweed packaging. And it was just amazing. It's just a lovely moment where you put the packaging in um, in the sink and you pour like boiling water over it and it just dissolves into the plug hole which is just wicked to see like plastic just disappearing so uh or kind of plant-based plastic disappearing so yeah big fan of uh
0: finister and creating a visual uh, education and entertainment for children as well but <laughs> on that my favorite packaging is rapa nui at the moment which is like they've got this all yeah. paper but it it comes with this like beautiful doodles on and my kids yeah. just spend all their time doodling on they get more value out of the packaging than i do out of the t-shirt um
3: nathan brand experience um, something that I use weekly I'd say like Guso, the which I really like I think that you know for a company that's growing so quickly like they are really trying to make the right changes to be environmentally and sustainably conscious and like it sort of gets rid of that that choice and the boring food and also just the wastage element, which is something I really like so yeah a, a brand that I like the experience of you don't have to go to the shop so much
0: and so another great example. And so what I've heard already from these quick quick stories is that there's a strong values piece in there. There's something around like uh, how it makes you feel. And then, of course, there's the, the practical element of like, what have you bought this for? So there's, there's, le- there's a lot of lessons already to take from those answers. But now let's talk about our own brands and stories. And if we can dive into a bit more detail about your journeys and then go, Celia, if we can start with you. Um, take us back so you you were reading history of art like when did this journey and this this idea and this brand that's now really creating some waves begin for you
1: so so yeah I um, basically spent my 20s in the art world never thinking that I would start my own company had a baby thought right I want to do something that feels like it's got purpose behind it but still thought I am not a founder at all and then suddenly through a kind of chance conversation with a friend who's now my co-founder, as you do, got to talking about tampons. And I'd always known that I wanted to do something that supported women, but I had no idea that it would be tampons. And and actually, the brand that we created, first of all, wasn't Dame. It was something called Sanitary Owl. It was a pun, basically, because we were a bit pissed when we made it up. Um, and, and it was something that we ran with, but actually for a few years... We were selling other people's products. It was a subscription service, but the pun eventually ran dry. And when we knew that we wanted to change what we were doing and create our own products and make sure that the products that we were putting out there are environmentally friendly, so we created the world's first ever reusable tampon applicator, um, we knew that we wanted a different name and a different brand for it. And that's where Dame came up. And I think the name Dame, we wanted something that spoke to women and was instantly recognisable as being a female product, but at the same time had a a big sort of weight, weight like we knew that we wanted a word that you needed to be dusted off the shelf that people knew, but, you know, it had some kind of weird matriarch kind of tones of it. And that for us was really important to bring on board because we really wanted to be a voice for women. We wanted to make sure that women are using more sustainable products than they're currently using. The majority of products on the market right now are filled with plastics, filled with chemicals because they're not regulated in the EU. So literally you can put anything you want inside of them and not disclose the ingredients. Jeez. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we had something which was speaking in a very bold tone and um, a very truthful way. And so Dame was what came out of it. And we launched the reusable tampon applicator in 2018 on Kickstarter uh did a lot better than we thought it was and then properly launched on the market in 2019 and have been going ever since and we've now got reasonable pads we've got pants coming out and yeah it's sort of been growing and growing
0: it's an amazing story what you've achieved in a really short uh, with a really challenging set of new things to communicate with people um just on the on that kind of genesis of the of the brand itself so you've explained a little bit about the name but getting that voice like the voice right, um, figuring out where to put the emphasis in the communications initially. I mean, if you take us back to your Kickstarter, what was the, how did you figure that? out? Or was it very much you just were like, this is how I feel. And then here's the name and here's, here's the product.
1: I think there's always going to be like an element of yourself and your personality that comes out in it. And, you know, we're talking about a category which anyone has to go into any supermarket and see, like, the colours, the language. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. It's like 80s ski suits all over. And we knew we wanted to move away from this kind of negative language where it's talking about discretion and talking about being fresh and all this really, really pejorative messaging. And so we knew we wanted bold and forthright language. We knew we wanted a colour that wasn't overtly pink um, and girly, a colour that spoke to, you know, anything from a 12-year-old girl all the way through to a sort of woman in her 50s, because essentially that is our target market. Um, And coming up with those ideas, I think we were really lucky. We had someone who we brought on to help with the... With the branding, who sat down with us and were just like, right, okay, this is what is your personality? What do you want this brand to be about? And through we started to build up to and I think one of the most important things was you know, we made sure that we were positioning ourselves very much away from what was already on the market.
0: Yeah. And then that exercise of creating the personality. And figuring it out that sounds like a sort of thing that you would do in a in a workshop but did you do were you reading like were you taking going to workshops were you reading books or were you just like I think this is were you figuring it out as you go between you
1: I think we were part figuring out but we had a like an amazing freelancer who came and sat down with us okay. and was like right I want you to think about this write it all down we'll come back again in a, in a week or so and see what we feel and and that process was really important and and that we did in whenever it was 2018 and I have to say we've done it again since because I think that's the really important thing is your brand like your personality is always evolving and I we found it really important to always keep coming back to it and see right are these still our values is this still our voice something that has evolved and we want to change um and but yeah that process was really important from the get-go
0: yeah, get get a good freelancer on board early on. That sounds that sounds like it really helped. Um loads more I want to chat with Celia with you about and Dame. It's so it's amazing. But let's jump across to Nathan now. So Denzel's where did the journey begin?
3: Um well the company started uh in July. It'll be three years old, but really it's uh, I'm one of the co-founders, the other co-founder is James, and Denzel is his dog. Um we are like best mates from uni we met studying animal science and nutrition uh, in Nottingham. Basically we weren't clever enough to be vets. So we went and did a nutrition course about animals instead. And we sort of fell in love with it, realized that the two options were either going to sort of like the lab side or go down the more business route. And that was like a big interest of ours. So we went and both worked in the pet industry for about five or six years. Um, and then we saw this boom in like healthy snacking for humans so there was a big change in people like looking at the nutritional value the explanation around the branding and and the way people could learn about it was a lot easier to digest and you know we felt that okay why isn't this done properly in pet snacking and pet treats you know it's really confusing when you've got a new dog or a new pet like how do you treat them like you know what do you do with them how do you like how can you be the proper owner, and what can you feed them? So we, Denzels was born, and it's all around proper education and proper nutrition, but also bringing a bit of like fun and you know sort of child, childish like behaviour around having a dog. Like whereas a lot of the pet brands, if you go down the grocery aisle, you'll see them. They're very corporate. It's the same dog on the on the you know on the pack. It's all very much. The same. So we wanted to sort of bring that to life, and we have like cards in there. And we're running like books and all this sort of stuff. And we have Denzel as a character, and on one of our products, he's a wizard and he teaches you how to, you know, do sit with your dog. And he's a policeman telling you know if your dog rum- rummages through the bin, how do you stop that? Like it's just a complete bit of fun. Um, so yeah, that, that's a bit about us. And, then and I guess- just
0: on that, just on that, just jumping in, Nathan. It sounds so obvious, right? We're all sitting here, like nodding along with the smiles on our faces. Like here's this dog telling you how to, you know, behave and like what he's up to. Like it sounds so obvious that that's what a voice of a. Uh, like a healthy, happy pet product should be. But what do you, what do we, what do you think has changed? Like, why are we suddenly, is it just so innocent we're doing it one day and then we're all like, oh, now we're going to talk to each other. Like we're, you know, uh, in a cafe or, or is it something bigger that's changed out there? And I'm sure Tom, you have thoughts on this as well, but it, it in terms of, you know, branding is all about building trust, obviously. And, mm. and, and it used to be around, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. It was like the repetition would build trust and being, it's being seen everywhere. But now it seems to be a much more of an emo- about an emotional um, connection. Um was it was it were you thinking about this bigger picture piece when you were like, or was it just like why are we why is no one having more fun with a pet
3: product? Yeah, I think I think it's the latter. Like we, you know, did we two well, there's three of us that, that founded it. The other one is a bit like uh, well, we went and found a freelancer who we thought could bring the design to life. For us, we wanted to invest the money to launch instead of like going to shows and doing it that way around we wanted to like bring the brand to life so we went to find an illustrator someone who can do all of of that and she's the third founder from a human side and i think that we just all sat there and we're like all quite young we're like it's such an emotive category people love their dogs like they love their pets it's a time where that makes you happy instagram's full of it why do none of the products reflect that and like we kind of just all always turn around to each other and we're like, if we're not having fun and we're not like excited by the new launch, excited by the new bit of branding, then, you know, then we're not going to do it. Like, and if people resonate with that, great. And if they don't, like, at least we're kind of doing what makes us happy.
0: Yeah. And Laura's just added to this. So she says uh, Denzel is so smart because it's the voice of the dog from the inside <laughs> out. This is, this is what's good for me and is emotional versus this yeah. is how to tell you what to feed your dog. It's like, it's like the kind of Pixar animation of, of, of food.
3: It's true. And I think we, like a lot of small food and drink, especially uh, startups, like the, the founders are kind of like the, the voice and that's what people get to know and they enjoy that journey. Whereas for us it's Denzel. Like he is the face of everything and he talks to it. And we do get a lot of people reply to us as their dog as well. Speaking to Denzel, so that's always an interesting conversation to have. It's
0: <laughs> a great conversation. I also like the fact you just said your third founder, your third human founder. Um, yeah, you know, you got to give some good equity to to the main the main canine. Um, Tom, let's uh, let's jump over to you. Um, tell us about your journey with with branding and and what you're you've been building it nice and serious.
2: Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ben. Um, so yeah, so. I my journey started. Um, I was uh, training to be an environmental scientist uh, about twenty years ago or so, and um, ended up being. I was incredibly passionate about issues like climate change and big kind of societal problems, and um, went off to study science communication to become a journalist and things like that. And I ended up doing this um, cycle ride across the country, towing low energy light bulbs, and made a little film about it. Um, and uh, got across the country and realized that sort of no one gave a shit about climate change. I mean, this was like 2006 or something like that. And I sort of realized it, it, it probably wasn't that people didn't care about it, but rather the way in which we were telling stories about climate change wasn't really landing with people. So me and, and, and the co-founder at, at the time decided to create An agency to try and tell more compelling stories about big social and environmental issues or what we refer to as making creative work the world actually needs rather than selling shit it doesn't so so we we created nice and serious back in in 2008 to do just that to 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 kind of use the creative skills that you find in the advertising and creative industries but try and apply them to charities and causes and progressive brands that can't normally access those creative skills. So that was the whole remit to, to, to Behind Nice and Serious, and that's what we've been doing for the last decade. And, um, and obviously not only that, I, I guess what we deliver the creative services is very important to us, but also whether we could create a benchmark for what a sustainable agency looks like as well and how we operate and the decisions we make as a, as a business and brand ourselves.
0: And, and you are a b core which we can come on to but but 2008 to 2021 so that's a it's a decent chunk of time to be to be in this what what have you learned i mean obviously the the conversation around climate change now a crisis mm-hmm. has has moved on significantly both in terms of the, the scale of the problem but also the the engagement um but what what is what have you learned about the branding journey? Uh, over the last decade and and it, it, you now got so much business that you barely have time to come and do a, a panel chat like this or is it it, it ha- is it now a lot more competition
2: yeah I mean god if you if you <laughs> The the creative industries are a fundamentally terrible business model. If you are thinking about going into it, don't. I mean, ultimately it's a people business, so it's very hard to scale, right? So um, you know, go into it if you're passionate about what you love doing, which for me was all around storytelling and creativity. You know, nice and serious it is fundamentally a lifestyle business. I get up, I love working with big progressive clients telling stories for charities and things like that. That's what gets me going. I'm not doing this to try and create money. I I think it's, it's a challenging industry because you're constantly having to dance for your breakfast. Um, today I've just been on three fucking pitches. It's exhausting. You don't know what's happening in three months time, but it's also very life affirming. It's very fun. If you're a creative individual that gets stimulation from that, it's, it's a wonderful industry to be in. Um, but, yeah, I d- have I just answered your question, Ben, or have I just... Yeah, it? no,
0: you, there's <laughs> a great answer, um, and uh, it, I, it's making me think about like how we. Okay, let, let's go. Let's get into the nitty gritty of branding itself because we have kind of mm. come to that that point where we've, we've shared our opening stories. Um, so, what's the definition, Tom, for you? And then, I mean, this is your this is your bread and butter, I know, but it's also. Uh, it's a it's a big question what's your definition of, of what a brand is just to uh, you know we've got 260 people here listening in who are all trying to figure out their own ways to get something or grow something in the world and it's yeah. very noisy whatever category you're in even if you're trying to do something very different and disruptive like Nathan and Celia so yeah. uh, how what, what's the definition and how do you start the process
2: yeah look I, I mean I did I did try and write something really intellectual here but I've, I've decided to pair this back I mean I, I think for me how you would define a brand is, is a is essentially what do you stand for? Like it, it's a business with a backbone. For me, a brand helps you decide what's a distraction and, and what's an opportunity. You know, it, it's as much it's a much it's as much as a way to help you as the owner decide what you don't do as much as what you do. For me, the brands that actually last are those that stand for something and are willing to say no as they are to say yes and take opportunities.
0: So that's clear. And yet, just to gently push back, there are plenty Mm. of brands in the world you know, whether they're, they're companies or even people that have had certain influence that you can make a case for saying, well, they're pretty divisive. They're not necessarily trying to solve a real problem in the world. Mm-hmm. We just had a president in the United States who's branded himself. Right. So uh, this be very divisive. So what is is a brand always in your definition it is inherently trying to do something good or or trying to make the world a better place? No,
2: I, I think it's a really good question, Ben, and not at all. I would argue that some of the strongest brands out there are the ones that are fundamentally unethical. If you look at Trump or anything like that, they are all brands in their own right, but mm. they are very clear. You know, Obviously, as an agency, Nice and Serious is all about doing good in the world. We stand for something in that respect. But equally, you could be a very divisive, very negative brand, but be very clearly positioned. And I would argue that that is still a very, very strong brand. And there's a lot we can learn from those brands as well and apply that to a much more positive space too. And again, they're just very clear on who they're speaking to and who they're not speaking to, and they don't waste time. You know, it it, for me that that's what really defines them.
0: And it's the lack of care, like from a responsibility point of view, that is in some ways it's an advantage in in that situation. So coming back to like the basics of the startup and branding, so you've got your definition of like this is what we stand for. What do you then do? So we've heard what Nathan and Celia did very instinctively with with some like maybe it was the same freelancer who helped them both, a uh, good, good early freelancer. But what what are those first steps? Is it is it getting onto Squarespace or Canva and making a logo? Is it the is it the visual identity? Is it like oh, what's the personality of my brand? What do we stand for? What do we don't like? Is there a good template that you you would advise people working through, or is it just dropping a load of feelings down and and just like trying to capture this in a in a creative way
2: yeah look I mean you know if you're creating a new brand you obviously don't need an agency at that point in time I'd probably advise you not to if you're just starting out unless you have vast amounts of sort of seed capital or something but like yeah for me it's about quick iterating at those early stages you know it's don't get too obsessed about the logo and the identity that can easily change i think exactly like it's like celia and nathan have said like get together talk about the organization you want to be talk about Talk about the problems that you're fixing in the world. What, what issues are you fixing that's going to really help your kind of target audience and try and encapsulate that. So there are loads of branding frameworks out there. Just mm. Google them. Like, you know, a lot of we talk about finding your kind of your purpose, your measure, your mission your vision, your values. You can do all all those sorts of things. You can do them yourself or just get some critical friends along who are good communicators to help you pay kind of put that stuff together but you just need to get it out into the world start testing it in front of users and then you can come back and refine it it's exactly like Celia did like you don't need to get it perfect off the bat otherwise you're wasting way too much time and money before you start testing it with your audience and then you can refine as
0: you grow great answer and Celia coming back to Damon like that initial version of of the brand that you put out into the world. How do you know that there's all these features and benefits, right? Of everything that we do. And we're like, I've got to tell, I've got to tell everyone everything straight away, but how did you decide which things to put up front? And what did you put up front to people to say when you've got a a strong set of values and mission, as well as a great price point and quality product, how do you fit it all in?
1: Totally. So for us, like our, um, three big things that we are concerned about is sustainability it's um the body and the chemicals and the things that you're putting inside of you and it's the language and the way that you're spoken to and for us it was an exercise of, okay like let's go out there let's look at obviously like the big players who are pretty obvious and what they're doing and then let's look at the smaller challenger brands who are coming through and and look at what they're talking about and then let's try and see where we can find our own little space And for us, that very much was in that sustainability space because there weren't really any people doing any meaningful work there. Um, And that's where we decided to position ourselves initially. But as you go along, you realise that people then come to you for different things. So you do have to be, like you said, Tom, you have to be quite flexible. You have to be quite iterative to it because as much as you want to be something, it's how your customer reacts to you. And so you've got to work alongside of that. And like going back to your kind of, what is a brand? I kind of felt always like a brand is like a personality. It feels like dating. And as you're dating, you do have to slightly kind of adjust yourself that if you're like shouting the whole time or like spitting food out of your mouth when you're like having supper, you have to kind of like slightly adjust yourself and pull it back. And that's the same kind of thing I always find with the brand that you have to keep looking at who you're communicating to and and adjust as you go along. But for us, yeah, it, it was definitely those sort of like core values were there, but it's like you said, just working out which ones you're putting front and center first.
0: And that relationship metaphor makes so much sense because it, of course, what you're you're pointing towards there is that it's a, it's it's a relationship, not a one way. You're not just broadcasting, right? And you're learning about yourself in every conversation, in every part of the relationship. How do you then decide in terms of the, the uh, evolution of the brand and the iteration of the product and service, like which bit of feedback to take on versus like signal versus noise. Obviously you've got data, you've got sales, you've got all the digital marketing information that we capture. You've got return customers, etc. That's, that's, that guides so much. But when you've got someone like for every 10 people that say they love it and then someone says, Oh, why are you being so preachy about this? Like, why, why can't it be the same price as this? Like what, what, how do you know what to take on?
1: Oh, yeah. And those neggy people are always really loud. really, mm. really In your loud. own head, right? In your yeah. own head. And yeah. they just sort of, they seem to come out and you have to remind yourself like you are just a snapshot and it's usually the angriest people who are the people who get in touch. I think there's a certain point where you, like you said, you do look at all the kind of facts and the figures. And then there's a bit where you slightly stick two fingers up at it and say, no, this is what I believe in. and And there's a bit childish in you where it's like, well, it's my company. So we're just going to do it the way that we think we're going to do it because it goes back to those values that you set out at the beginning. And this is what we believe in. And we can't really waver that much from it because that's us. That's who we are. And if someone wants something else, they can go to somewhere else, but. We believe that we not only have the right product, a premium, brilliant product that performs incredibly well, but we have the right heart and the right ethics and the right values. And so you kind of have to stand your ground a bit.
0: Yeah. And what I love about that is that when you are really clear about your, your, your ethics and values and, and, and uh, all the way, and they don't shift and you also have a great product because you've worked bloody hard to make it. then actually a lot of decision-making around what your brand does next isn't that difficult it's then it's the implementation of it that becomes the challenge um uh, delve has just added into the chat here um i think it's a bezos quote your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room so if you'll just leave when well, we'll be honest about no it's uh it's a, it's a good reminder isn't it um nathan at denzel's what's the um yeah how, how have you how have you figured out how to you know what's your definition of the brand it's it's denzel right so
3: yeah I think we're not only that unique, but slightly different um, where we are selling to someone who's not using it or consuming it in a sense. So, you know, that's an angle that we look at, but I, I agree really with, with what, what was just being said in the sense that I think it's about what you really believe in and like, you've got to just stick to it. And, you know, that doesn't mean they it can't change and evolve. Like, You know, for instance, just to use us as as an example, you know, when we first started, we were all about the sort of education side because that's what we believed that the market was lacking around, you know, bringing things like the calorie to the front, bringing the ingredients to be more transparent, like talking about proper ownership because we felt it wasn't there. And obviously, we both are big believers in sort of the environment and doing things the right way so we were already doing that through the way that we could we made the stuff with the ovens and we upcycle the ingredients and the packaging was plastic free we were doing that but we weren't talking about it um and then obviously you know we were like why aren't we talking about this and we were and obviously so we brought that more to the front as well so i think that we weren't scared to sort of evolve with it but it was kind of like it meant a lot to us still so we 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 wanted to bring that out and, and, and you know bring that to the front and talk about it and, you know, we can always look at data. We can always look at, like, what we're being told is the next trend. But actually, you know, so are much bigger companies than us. They're also looking at the same data. They have a bit more money than us to be spending on it. So, you know, we don't want to fight that battle. We want to sort of fight what we believe in and just do, do as we wish. And, like, you know, ultimately, if that succeeds, we're having fun doing it. And if we make mistakes, then, you know, it's our own mistakes to make. And, and that's something that we believe in.
0: Now, we've got a whole load of questions coming in from uh, everyone watching. Thanks for dropping them in. If you if you can't see them, you head to the, there's this, uh, a toggle across it where it says stage and there's the chat and then the Q&A. So drop them into the Q&A and then you can upvote each them So in a minute, I'm heading there and I'm going to rattle through and it's going to be a random splattering of questions I'm going to take. But before then, I wanted to get an example from each of you of a successful brand campaign uh, communications marketing project you've done um with your business and an unsuccessful one. So it'd be great to share a couple of examples um with everyone. Celia, you're up for kicking off.
1: Yeah I can the I mean this, this unsuccessful one, wow, there's like so many ones which I think they're just like a lot of ads that you put out and you craft so much and you think, oh, this is really going to cut through the noise and then it lands and it's like hmm And that's where the beauty is when they do land, you can just quietly like shuffle them away and one has to see them.
0: But it's the learning uh, that's key. You want to get something, you want to learn from it, right?
1: Totally. And like the key is to just get them out quickly. Like just don't sit on them for too long because if you craft and perfect them for too long, you know, who knows what's going to resonate. Um, For us, one which has been really successful was um, this bus campaign that we did uh, a few months ago. We as a really small brand, took a really big decision to to go and advertise on 200 London buses. And we were very fortunate in the fact that we were doing it at a time where bus prices are cheap because it's COVID time and no one's really wanting to advertise. And so a two-week campaign turned into a freebie of a four-month campaign, which was great for us. But the big thing was we wanted to not only get us up on London buses, but we wanted to make a campaign about the campaign. So we put uh, one of our users who had posted a picture of her with her tampon string hanging out in a very beautiful way. We asked her permission to put that on a London bus because we thought this is incredible. This is one of our customers doing something that they already feel quite proud of. And it's part of what we want to do. We want to normalize this, this topic and this subject matter because the most critical thing in order to get people onto more sustainable solutions in a topic where they don't really talk about it that much is to normalize it, is to get them to talk about it. So we put this on 200 London buses and then also did ran a PR campaign alongside of it to make sure that key publications were picking it up. The fact that this was the first ever tampon string to be shown on a London bus and that extra noise that was generated around it meant that this wasn't just an audience in London viewing these buses. It was a much, much wider audience. And that for us was has been really, really successful in just nudging our brand up that next level.
0: And it's a great, it's making me think about the challenge that we all face when we're working our businesses every day, is so we're so focused on, as you just described, like polishing that, that ad, that great campaign, making it all look and work and that, you know, you've got your data, like your funnel and all all that stuff. <laughs> And that's even before you sold anything. So you're like, oh, I hope it really works. And yet, the bigger picture of like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then that image comes up, and you could have easily just gone, oh, "Okay, that's." But the fact you 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 pause and you were like, well, "Hold on a second. and and then and then you brought it in and and executed it really well, and the result was was massive. That's a challenge, right? It's being able to keep that keep a wide enough that We're like, okay. How does this feel for someone who's watching or following this story? How do you put that into practice every day when you're consumed by running the business, a family, everything else that we're dealing with in life?
1: It's really difficult because I think also a lot of the thing where if you're really in the business, you already think that people know a lot about your business and know a lot about the subject matter. Like for us, it's a big education piece. Mm. Not very many people know that the majority of these products are made of plastic that the majority of them have got, they're not made of cotton. They're all sorts of other materials which you don't know about. And they can lead to all sorts of things like vaginal irritation and stuff which people just don't connect with. So you go into this and if you've been working in it for a few years, you automatically start to think that people know this. So you, instead of sort of entry level getting them on, you already sort of skip through levels. Whereas I think it's always important to pull yourself back and be like, no, the majority of people are hitting you for the first time are going to be completely blind to what you're about. And so I think what we try to do is is test it the whole time with new audience members, test it with people who aren't just the team who are living, breathing it. Because as soon as you bring it out into fresh eyes, fresh perspective, you start to see the flaws of where you're skipping a few stages. Um, it's easier said than done because obviously you know, when you're running to a deadline, you're just like, quick, get anything out. Yeah. Um, but definitely having that that fresh perspective for us is always quite critical.
0: Yeah. And when you're testing, you want to avoid that that kind of mum test trap, don't you, of asking the people who love you what they think about it. And they'll tell you it's <laughs> wonderful or it's terrible, but it's, it's it doesn't help. Right. You've got to go to the real, the real customers. Um, Nathan, success and failure at, at Denzel so far.
3: Um, I guess, again, yeah, similar in terms of failures, there's often you know you think you have these great ideas and you try them and it doesn't always work out the same so what you have in mind but you know i think it's like you said it's important to try these things you know don't break the bank doing it maybe you know and you can see make some learnings i think one of the fun success ones we had is we had an idea to do a we have christmas products for dogs it is a thing and it is quite a big thing and um we did a christmas well, walk around high park and invited owners to bring their dogs and dress them up in christmas jumpers i think we had something like 500 like sausage dogs come down and they were dressed up and it obviously got picked up a bit by the media um because it was an awful lot of people because there would be like two or three people per dog and walking around and we handed out loads of um, treats and we stopped in one of the Whole Foods and we sent it in there to buy more so that for us was just a lot of fun um, and it worked really well and again we also you know brought our own people down to film that and we used sort of like content around that to make content throughout the year so even around you know even if it wasn't just like Christmas stuff or Christmas jumpers we were just like getting pictures with the dogs and the treats and getting owners and like utilising all of that stuff to make a lot of fun content that we could
0: use all year round and I guess Denzel's a great example of like how to how to live you know, build your business he doesn't care about failing does he just gets no, up chases the next tennis ball the next thing Pretty he's excited much. about Pretty I want to talk I want to I want to talk to Denzel about his you know business plans yeah no, I, brought, I should have an IPO I one day
3: should have him, yeah. him on
0: it's alright he'll get, he'll be he'll be zooming soon um, Tom uh, success and failure in the nice and serious sort of campaign world
2: Yeah, good good question. And I I guess we don't necessarily run campaigns for ourselves. um, Sure. That makes sense. We run campaigns for others. And I should probably also say that a lot of what we do isn't about driving sales or marketing a product. It's more around raising awareness of a cause. Um, So I mean, obviously, it's a big part of what we do, so there's lots I could kind of pick on. I mean, probably like an interesting example would be some of the stuff we've done um, around social impact with Ben & Jerry's over the years. Mm -hmm. So. We've launched, um, I mean, they're, they're a really interesting brand to work with because they are so, um, they're so they're so kind of vocal about the issues they care about and they're not scared of going out of category, which is a really exciting kind of space to play in. So we've done some really fun campaigns for them when they've launched new um, products like One Sweet World, which was a ice cream where a pound from every sale went to um, support issues that promoted social inclusion. So we created a really big kind of film, kind of animated moment, um, which was timed to launch on the day that Trump was inaugurated back in whenever it was 16 or 17, which was all about story of a sour world turned sweet, uh, a a kind of fictional land overrun by the lemon party. And we made a Trump lemon. It was really, it was really good fun. But that was something that landed particularly well, because it was a very fun, playful message at a time of almost like mourning and outpouring. And that was one of the most, organically share pieces of content they've ever created but equally sometimes we'll do stuff for them where you know sometimes we've we've done stuff around refugee and refugee resettlement and we've done some what I would consider some really nice work but there are some issues that culturally are just such hot potatoes Mm. like when we looked at we did a campaign called um, home safe home um, and it was all about giving refugees the right to work when they're waiting for their asylum status and I thought we produced a really lovely piece of content for that but it, it kind of landed well but then God, the trolls just came out for it. <laughs> and uh, you know, you can imagine their PR teams have a nightmare when they're getting light. Normally they're pretty cool with that stuff. But, you know, sometimes we will we'll just touch on a nerve with a really divisive subject. And, and that's part of the risk when you're taking on big, complicated, systemic cycles.
0: But I but they, but kind of think, like- that that example maybe to one side but there's also the point right um if you don't don't create this i mean it's the cancel culture and the divisiveness we're all yeah. really tired of it and a lot of us that's why i'm scared about a lot of conversations being shut down because people are like sod it it's too much i can't cope with it versus actually we need to have the truths told and you know what i love about these stories tonight is they're just told in a creative way rather than maybe an aggressive way mm. um yeah just what I got, you made me think of one example I've been part of accidentally in the last 24 hours, a crazy story, which I have to share. <laughs> so Greenpeace released an ad yesterday um, about the um, so, many, so much of our recycling in the UK, depressingly not being recycled mm. and being shipped offshore, especially to parts of Asia and dumped and causing a lot significant social and environmental problems. I'm sure the UK is not the only country that does this but we're clearly really bad at it anyway this ad is brilliant it's like done as an animation boris johnson drowning in plastic literally um and i'm going to share my tweet on the chat i put this t- i saw this ad and like all of us i'll be like what a cool ad what dev- i think i wrote what a devastatingly brilliant ad i've been on twitter for 10 years this has gone viral like my tweet of someone else's ad and it's been viewed like 400,000 times on my twitter profile in 24 hours Anyway, so it's really interesting because I like my relationship with Greenpeace now has completely changed from one of like, I've, I've supported a few of their campaigns and now I feel like I'm part of it because I've accidentally <laughs> uh, channeled, like influenced the campaign positively, completely by accident. But yeah, it's kind of weird. And now I've got all this d- debate about plastic going on on my timeline. Anyway, and I'm like, yeah, I, run a book, no. I run a book club. What's going
2: on? <laughs> We're now an environmental influencer. We'll be contacting yes, you Finally, teams. finally.
0: So here we go. We've got we've got ten minutes to rattle through a load of questions. The one that's been voted up, and just jump in, any of you, yeah, whoever feels I've got an answer. Uh, William wants to know where can I find this uh, this one freelancer that you've all know a suitable freelancer to help you with creating your marketing and branding. Where do you look for freelancers?
1: uh i mean that one came through like a, a contact of my co-founders i think it's we really wanted to have creatives who were women because we were producing a product the majority for women and that was really important for us and someone who also got the whole sustainability thing and this was quite a few years ago when it still wasn't that kind of fashionable to get so you've got to have someone who can meet and understand. It's again, it's speed dating. You meet a few people, see who you connect with, see who really gets your company, because if they're trying to do, then they're going to really easily translate it for you.
3: Perfect. Any other tips on freelancers? I guess, like our example, is we built sort of a library of other brands, not in the same category that we loved. And, you know, I guess the smaller ones we just reached out to and don't be scared to do that and actually you know some of them did come back to us and that is how we found ours so we have some bare fruit or bear nibbles the, the kids company the snacking one that's like a big inspiration for us and you'll see some similarities between the brand because we reached out to them and that's how we met the girl who does our, our freelancing and you know she's come on board and she does all of that so yeah that would be my advice mm-hmm. don't be scared to reach out to other brands that you aspire to be
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, I yeah drop drop into communities as well that you're part of, and like mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. Escape the city, always great for these kind of people. Yeah. Tom, did you have anything to add?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, look, I mean, if you want to go super cheap, you've got things like Fiverr that you guys will be aware of. The quality is going to be suspect, and I don't think you'll get that deep relationship you need. Like, like you need to start following accounts, like it's nice that some big design blogs, and you'll start to see the young emerging talent. Just start following them on, on, on Instagram and things like that. It's how we often find a lot of the freelance designers will use as well. So, you know, it's just important to follow, be part of those communities and reach out and just compliment people start a conversation and then they're much more likely going to want to come on that journey with you
0: yeah exactly and spend 10 pound a month on canva pro i'm not <laughs> a shareholder but that changed my, changed my life um kim wants to know how much resource do you need to become a b corp big big question is it worth doing when you're a startup small so just quickly share when you became b corps and what that was like
1: we became a B Corp when uh, we'd already been running the old business centre for a few years, but we just decided to transfer across into the new one. And I think because it's the time when you you don't have to unpick everything. I think the companies who find it hardest to become a B Corp are the ones who have to retroactively go back mm-hmm. and unpick what they're doing. Whereas if you're just starting out as an incredible framework to guide you on what you want to achieve. So I would definitely recommend doing it sooner rather than later. The application process is a bitch. It takes forever. And you just think why, how many questions, who's the person who wrote this thing because it goes on for so long, but it's all in the right vein because it's really going into every bit of your business.
2: Nice yeah it is it is a bitch it's an understatement um it, it's a it's a lot of hard work i think there might be some criteria like i think you have to have been operating for two years or, or I, yeah. I, there might be something or, or an interim stage but just do it look it, it's it's probably the most comprehensive framework out there to look at all aspects of your business and you know we went in a little bit cocky and it properly humbled us in terms of you know we thought oh we were you know we're doing all the right things we're reducing our environmental emissions and blah 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 and you suddenly realize oh my god there's are these areas of governance of community of how you kind of like the, all of the kind of processes and stuff that were in my head it was like if i get hit by a big red bus tomorrow all of that goes with me right so everything needed to be put into process and it just helped us review all aspects of our business but my recommendation would be get in now because there are so many big brands that are becoming B Corp the brand equity surrounding B Corp is only going to grow if you can get into that community earlier it's going to mean a lot more it's going to be a really good differentiator so it's a lot of work but it's a really good process to go through I think
0: Nice Nathan
3: Um, I mean we're actually not B Corp yet so um, I guess what we can say is that yeah it is a lengthy process, but it's one that is worth undertaking, either right at the beginning or maybe when you do have a bit of help. So, if that you know, whilst it's very important, obviously you also need to be keeping your eye on other things. So, you know, just just to take just to take that on board. Just
0: balance out. I'm going to quickly celebrate with a B Court beer brew dog of crossed the cross the line. And they're shouting very loudly about it all. Um, But uh, they sent some beer, so I'm going to drink one of those. Um, uh, Ryan would like to know, Celia, did your Kickstarter organically fly or did you invest in a paid-for PR social strategy, so crowdfunding?
1: So we, yeah, we did Kickstarter. We decided to put a really small amount, I think it was about two grand, into PR behind it. So just like an agency who could get in touch with publications. And, again, like that was amazing, but I think – it was the hype that suddenly came up because David Attenborough had just dropped Blue Planet 2 like two months before. And so there was such a swirl of like all the press trying to find companies like ours who were trying to reduce plastic waste that we got caught up in that. And it was really good to have a press agency who could help with that. So it's one of those things to be mindful for. I think you do need like a little bit of help with it, but I wouldn't overly invest because usually at that time you kind of need the money for a reason, um, but yeah, it was it was a lot for us timing.
0: Anyone else been involved with crowdfunding? No, stayed away.
3: Yeah, not with crowdfunding. We we have taken funding recently, but not 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 through crowdfunding. So, um, and equally, that was quite a like important and le- not necessarily lengthy, but something that really took a lot of focus for the business and that's um yeah so it's just something to take on board that there's a lot to think about when you're funding and like don't always have a plan a have like a plan B, B, C and D as well definitely question here for you
0: tom i'm from damaris i'm at the beginning stages of launching a creative agency how do you differentiate yourself in such an oversaturated market um, yeah,
2: I think it's the same. This advice would apply to any business. I, I think go for a niche and don't be apologetic about it. You know, I think it's the only reason why we were able to start off was because we had a very specific niche about helping to tell creative stories around social and environmental issues. We wouldn't have existed without it. So find a niche that you are more passionate about than any other agency owner out there. Uh, and go for it, um, kind of unreservedly, I would say.
0: Yeah. I love, I love, um, building on what you just said. I love Seth Godin's talk about finding your minimum viable audience. So not just build an MV product, but uh, find the smallest possible audience in the world that will love what you do. That uh, You design this almost for one person, right. And then, and then iterate. And hopefully if there's more than 10 of them, you've got business. If there's not, that's cool. Move on. Um, Final question uh, for all three of you to wrap up. And thank you so much for the last hour um, because I know you're working hard online a lot and everyone that's listening in as well. Thank you for being here. We're, we're going to break out into rooms for conversations in a minute. But for Celia, Nathan and Tom, why do why does branding matter? Like for you, what your mission you're on, the journey you're on, the career you're on, why does branding matter to what you're doing? Celia?
1: I think we're in an age right now where people are looking for things and they're looking to belong somewhere and you know we used to get this a lot from I don't know religion and now we we really want to feel like we're contributing the decisions that we're making and the the products that we're buying are meaning something and so brand really is important how you're not with everything that you do with your wallet you're not just buying some cereal or buying some socks you're deciding who you want to invest in and who you want to bring into your life and that's why brand has become so so important and also it's a statement it's something that you wear on your chest like a Finisterre jumper it's it's something that you use to define you when you go out and talk to people and meet people so it's incredibly important and now we're seeing this added layer of importance of the whole environmental angle the fact that we all know now that we are in essentially a crisis and therefore people have to decide, you know, which line you want to be on. Do you want to be on this side of it or do you want to be on that side of it? And and I think that added layer has become so interesting because it's meant that a lot of companies have had to really step up in the way that they communicate their environmental um values and the way that they want to go forward so it's for me like a really interesting time for brands because that environmental thing is almost now becoming a have to rather than a nice to have
0: yeah you don't want to be on the outside you're going to join the dancing man or woman in the middle so ladies time to switch to dame if you haven't already nathan why does branding matter to you
3: i think arguably it's the most important part for us it is our identity and what can't be taken from us. Like, you know, obviously the product itself is something we're passionate about and it's, it's definitely important. But our belief is that, you know, realistically, however unique it is, however different it is you know, there's people out there that could look to, to copy it, look to change it. However, the brand is something that can't be copied if what what you stand for, what you believe in, like how you communicate that to, to the consumer all of that you know comes together to create this brand that that is you and is your voice and therefore i think like it is the most critical part and that's why we invested in that initially um that was what our money went towards um and also like our first hire was someone to come in around the whole brand management um so yeah like that that for us is just is just critical
0: and my dream is that Denzil's does a collaboration with my other favorite pet product, favorite pet brand, Bruce's Doggy Daycare. So there you go. Nice. A shout out. I'm not sponsored nice. by them, but they're great. Tom, first uh, last question, uh last chance to you. Um why does branding matter in this world? Um,
2: I think I think as the as as the entrepreneur and like the founder, which I, I think most people are on this uh, in the group, for me it, it's about legacy. I, I think when you first set up your business, there, there's so much pride you have in the fact that it was your hands that made everything and delivered everything. But for me, I, I think when you transition from being a business and you're just delivering everything to being a brand, is where you can step out and and, and it operates as a as an organism in its own right. You know, there's nothing that makes me prouder now. Than seeing they than not even having to do anything with a project and seeing it go out into the world and hear people seeing like finding out about nice and serious like without me like if I can take a step back and that brand exists and continues and a legacy is created that's what I want to create and that's I think the power of a brand that
0: goes beyond the person into into something else entirely that feels amazing um, while you've all done that um, I'm sure you could step away. And it would, it would still survive. It wouldn't thrive quite the same way. But um, you created amazing things in this world. Thank you for your time tonight, Celia, Nathan, and Tom, um, and sharing so much. I'd love the conversation. Celia, Nathan, and Tom, thanks for everything tonight and, and all your amazing work building great stories in the world. You've been listening to a Virgin Startup podcast. Virgin Startup are a not-for-profit organization set up to help founders start up and thrive. Don't be shy. Let us know what you thought by leaving a review whenever you listen to your podcast and to find more about how we can help you start and scale your business, head over to virginstartup.org. Thanks to our friends at Virgin Money, we're able to make our meetups free to attend, providing thousands of early stage founders with the support they need to start and scale businesses in the UK. Virgin Money are here to disrupt the status quo. They want everyone to have a much happier relationship with money Through their brilliant colleagues, inspiring spaces and digital solutions, they are doing everything they can to offer a life more virgin. They provide a full range of banking products and services to help founders at every stage of their business journey. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll join us next time for more founder stories.